Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. All right. What's up, everyone? What's up? Welcome in. Welcome in. Uh, we're going to give it a few moments for folks to jump on in. But as you're coming in, let us know where you're calling in from. I'm over here in Florida. Alan, you're in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, yeah. East Bay. What's up, everyone? What's going on, everyone? Yeah, let us know where you're calling in from. We're going to get started in just a moment. But Kellen, as we're waiting for folks to jump on in, um, I'm super excited to talk about this because I've been following you for a while. And now we finally get to to do a webinar together. But what are you most excited to talk about in today's topic? Yeah, yeah. I think um, number one is just going to be like market like market segmentation stuff, which is going to sound real boring, right? But I think it's just like the number one impactful thing that reps often aren't doing enough of. And so I think it's going to be kind of cool to you know really get nitty gritty with it. Totally. I completely agree. When it comes to like segmenting your list, uh, targeting, list building, it's all the kind of like boring stuff that nobody wants to talk about. But honestly, like in today's day and age, it is one of the most important parts when it comes to outbound. But like I said, guys, if you're just joining, let us know where you're calling in from in the chat. We're going to get started uh, in just a moment. Um, today's topic, we're going to be talking about cold prospecting messaging tips to get 13% plus or higher reply rates. We're going to get super tactical. Um, today's speaker, so my name is Jed Marley. I'm the founder over at Practical Prospecting. I also help host the daily show here at Sell Better. I'm here with Kellen Casebeer. He's the founder at The Deal Lab. Really good content on LinkedIn. Definitely check them out, guys. Um, want to say thank you to our partners, Apollo and Exactly, for making these shows possible. Again, thank you to our partners, Apollo and Exactly, for making these shows possible. If you guys want to learn how Exactly can help you with sales planning, forecasting, and more, check out the link in the chat. There's more information there. Go ahead and check that out. Um, real quick, if you didn't know, Sell Better is running The Daily Show every single weekday. Um, so go to the website, check out the upcoming daily shows. There's also a ton of great uh, information on the YouTube channel, the website as well. Uh, really good guides and just short form videos to get even more tactical than what we're going to go into today. Um, but real quick, so today's agenda, before we get into this, I uh, just want to give everyone's a heads up. Um, if you see the little Q&A bar at the bottom of the Zoom bar, put all of your questions there because we're going to spend the last three to five minutes answering all of your questions. Um, so please put any question in there. We're going to get through everything at the end of today's call. Uh, but today's agenda. So we're going to go over three specific things. First, we're going to talk about how to hyper-segment your market uh, to find this message market fit. And Kellen's going to talk to us about exactly what that means. Next, we're going to talk about how to map the pain points of your buyers to those segments. And then we're going to talk about ways to validate that messaging through what Kellen calls mini sequences. We're going to get super tactical, but I'm going to stop sharing my screen real quick. And Kellen, talk to us just to kind of set the agenda for today. What exactly is message market fit in your opinion? Because I see you talk about it a lot on LinkedIn. This is obviously what you help your clients with. Um, and what does that mean? Why is it so important? Yeah, yeah, great question. So to me, message market fit is basically the messaging that resonates uh, natively in your market's sort of language that makes them want to meet with you, right? And so I think a lot of times we in sales think from our perspective, right? Like what are the pain points we see? What are the solutions we solve for? Um, but oftentimes that's sort of the way we look at it, right? The way product looks at that. And I think markets and prospects often they have their own way of thinking i often say like what do they wake up stressed out about and when you can resonate in their own words with what that is they're much more likely to want to talk to us we come off as much more uh you know like we have higher acumen yeah yeah 100 i mean i i completely agree and, and let us know in the chat if you guys agree with this as well but i think one of the most important things in messaging see a lot of tips around like how long should your subject line be what sort of call to action should you use etc I think the most important thing is that you're actually showing up and using the messaging that's going to resonate with your prospects, speak in the way that they speak. And so um, I understand like the first step in this process, Kellen, is like hyper segmentation. 
uh, of your market. So talk to us about what that means. I'm going to share the screen real quick to pull up a couple of examples. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hypersegmentation. What does this word mean? What does that actually do to help you start finding this, you know, messaging that's going to uh, resonate with your prospects? Yeah. So to me, uh, people talk about segmenting your market almost like it's a commodity, right? Like if you if you segment it, you're good, right? And so to me, hypersegmentation represents getting as nitty gritty is as meaningfully helpful, right? And so the more specific that we can be in how we divide on the market side or the market in the segment side, by the time we're showing up with a message to a specific person, we have a more proprietary sort of understanding of their situation, right? And so um, I have a client who sells into GTM teams that set whose teams sell into AI centric teams, right? So they need to be hyper technical. They need to know, they need to, you know, be able to speak like AI data science models, stuff like that. And so one could say like, okay, AI centric models or markets, but really there's specialization within AI that's kind of like their own entire ecosystems. And by taking the market, all these AI centric companies and segmenting that down further into the actual specialization of AI that they use, we're able to show up with messages all the way you know, down the line, calling out specific languages and workflows and things like that, that if we were taking the entire AI market, we'd be generalizing and would not be specific enough to resonate really. Yeah, I like that. And, and kind of what I'm hearing from you is that like the typical understanding of what people think about like segmenting your market or getting really specific in your ICP is typically still too broad. And the reality is most people have a really large total addressable market. And so you're not, if, if you get super deep and you come down to like 200, 300 accounts, it's still a lot to go after, but you're going to sound much more specific. So it sounds like, uh, Kellen, you share this example in the pre-call, but this looks like an example of what you're doing to actually segment these markets. Talk to us about what exactly this is and how folks can start kind of implementing this in their process. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this is the way I would call this is it's, it's removing the idea of count from the equation, right? These are almost like buckets to be filled into. And so any of the companies in their TAM will first fit one of these markets, whether it's machine learning centric or compute or data engineering or analytics. And then once it kind of passes through that filter in the segment, we're treating everyone differently based on headcount, right? And so there's, you know, the ways they attract talent is different. The sort of impact of huge talent is different. And so we've decided that these segments are sort of meaningful in how we create messages. And then once it passes through that layer, depending on the persona that we're reaching out to, those people obviously all have different sort of, um, you know, cares and pains and things that they're thinking about. And so this is a way for us to sort of start by mapping the environment. And then in a couple of slides, I think we're going to go into like filling these buckets in so we can look at like how many records of each of these people actually exist. Because knowing that helps us prioritize where might the most potent sources of meetings in business be within this sort of environment. Yeah, 100%. And just just for context for everyone listening as well, like the whole goal is, is we're trying to get to a point where we're writing messaging that's going to get us a, a positive response rate, a good enough response rate to be consistent and scale up. And I like that Kellen had start with starting with being super segmented. Like most people start with maybe the messaging or a basic idea of who they want to reach out to. And then they have to kind of go backwards and re-segment, but you're kind of covering the entire ground of what you could possibly reach out to. And then going from there, starting with like a strong foundation. Um, so it looks like, I guess, tell them, like, speak to me, I guess, if I'm like an SDR and A listening to this call, um, you know, what is like some next steps they can take for, for this practice right here? It sounds like breaking down all the personas, the possible segments. Is there anything else they should go into? Or is this kind of what we're seeing in this document here? Uh, so yeah. I recommend they recreate. A little bit. So the way I would say it is like the the aim here is that we take the way. So if you start from the prospect, right, and there's sort of the world they live in, 
they get messages yeah. all day, right? And chances are those messages are predicated on like the same division in, a, you know, in Apollo, you know, they're using the same types of like personalization points, like all this stuff, right? So even if you're doing the checkbox of what a lot of these things are, it presents as just a sea of sameness. And so if you can divide the market proprietarily, no matter what that looks like, whether it's the market or your territory, whatever that is, if yeah. you show up with a proprietary reason to speak to someone before you're even writing the message, like the message will be different, right? Because if you can say like, I found you because you're this set of things that no one else has ever told them I found you from, that's going to stand out a ton. And if we're doing it through a lens of like business acumen rather than just like, you know, college or favorite colors or which can be yeah. great stuff too. But like, it, it's quite meaningful, right? Because again, by the time so it's like, that might be the layer of personalization is like how I found you. But then like my case study by having this can also be incredibly specific, right? My call to action of why they should talk to me can be incredibly specific, right? And in my business, I came from like an account-based sales world. My business running campaigns of like 500, 600, 700 people that might fit these criteria, but you can actually come up with messages that people feel like are incredibly one-to-one, -one, even without using like AI personalization like Clay, you can still bucket them in a way that feels very, very one-to-one. -one very, very unique. And they're like one of 500 people that got that same message. Dude, I'm in the same boat. Cause like, and just to tell a brief story, when I first started as an SDR, um, several years ago, I was like personalizing, I would just upload a list of like our basic ICP criteria of prospects. It was like sales leaders and marketing leaders at tech companies. So you can imagine how big that list was. Yeah. And then I would like block off an hour, like the first email will pop up. I'd go do some research, personalize, go do some research, personalize takes forever. And then I started to kind of realize exactly what you're talking about, which is like, hey, if I just take more time on the back end and bucket these prospects based on a, a very niche uh, number of like signals, then when I go to send that first email, you really don't have to personalize it at all. It's already going to sound specific to them and you're saving a ton of time. So this is kind of an example here. So talk us through this. This looks like you're actually mapping out the number of accounts and contacts that fit those criteria. Yeah, exactly. So like essentially once you have this sort of bucketing system, now, you know, we're looking and thinking about like contact record availability, right? Both like on the gross contact record availability and then like validation side, right? And so we want to sort of be looking, like if I look at this, right, I'm not going after startup solutions leaders to begin with, right? It's like a waste of time. It's a tiny percent of my TAM. Whereas like uh, the scale up sales leader, like 339, that's a great one, right? Because if I can take those people and then, you know, bucket them across the AI uh, specializations, like that's going to be a pretty potent campaign to run. And so um, I have other clients like this becomes really useful when we're looking at like what the whole market is and then what percentage of the market like I'm getting to sort of reach out to so we can represent that as percentages as well. And so it's, it's just taking in the next layer. Um, these like for my clients, I hyperlink these into tables and stuff so they can actually look at who these people are and stuff like that. Um, but I think like for reps, just the idea of being like, you build this environment and then you look at like what actually exists here. And then we want to look for what are the next 20% effort that's going to get me like the 80% outcomes of what's in here. And it's going to be kind of like the hyper potent places to go fish from. Yeah, 100%. I like this. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm listening to this call, I'm, I'm just taking screenshots of this and recreating these own, uh, these kind of uh, templates in Google Sheets just to kind of save them on my own. Um, so one thing I'm curious about is and we don't have to get too deep into this, but just to provide some context, how are you actually doing the segmenting? Like, are you using any specific tools to go and figure out how many accounts and contacts are in each of these markets? Yeah. So uh, uh, like uh, something that I'll repeat probably in any, any situation, any way it comes up is just 
where most people are looking for what is the least amount of effort to quickly acquire a bit of the knowledge, my premise is always like, what if, what if I just did the absolute most here to like start yeah. the foundation, right? So we don't, first of all, we don't have a canned approach. Like I tell people it's, it's crazy how little outreach I get because I spend like a couple departments worth of like technology spend every month to have the tools we use. But basically, um, I look at it as like, okay, it's again, it starts from the market. Like there's these people we're trying to reach. And then I'm thinking, what are the easiest ways? Where, where do they natively group themselves even? Like where do they place themselves in the world, right? Like when I apply filters in Apollo and I build like a TAM, it builds this big blob of who people are. But like that blob doesn't exist in the real world. They're actually these little sort of like uh, cells of groups of people. And so um, I'm always thinking of like, where do people group themselves? Where are they most naturally already grouped? How can I go find those, extract those? And then my process is like build a list of the companies first because then I'm not fragile to where the contacts are for getting this list. So it's like build a huge list of companies, enrich that into contacts, validate the contacts. And then of the valid contacts, then I'll start doing, you know, crazy cool clay stuff and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, like, honestly, especially with the level of filtering that Apollo has now and Sales Navigator, like you can do a lot of this stuff in Sales Navigator Apollo. Okay. We've talked about Clay a lot in this show. Um, I know Clay kind of has like, a bit of a steep learning curve in the beginning, but it definitely is super powerful once you figure it out. Um, but you can get, you know, 80% of the way there with a lot of the tools that most of us are already using. So plus um, just one, like one of the examples of where it comes up, just because you're right, like thinking of this audience is sometimes people are reaching out to people that like are quite outside of those filters, right? And that's where it might be like Google Maps scraping or like some of these other things. But um, yeah, like you said, I th you know, we we actually, most clients start in Apollo as like our first layer of like what kind of exists because it's like a very fast, easy way of getting a general idea of like what is the sort of size of the market that we're going to go after. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. This is uh, what I was most excited to get to, which is the actual message mapping. And what does that look like when you start getting into the messaging? Um, so talk to us about this. I see um, similar kind of mapping here, but what exactly does this mean and how, how is this going to help folks with creating better messaging? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is like, this is a somewhat uh, watered down version of how in depth they get because I didn't want to like make it too crazy. So I took a real client example and I kind of like simplified it a little bit. But basically this client, they do digital transformation, which is like an uh, industry that is touching on how technology is sort of like rolled out across the enterprise. Oftentimes it's sort of like, hyper cross-functional, you know, it could touch a lot of different things. And so this client, it's like a public company, they have a sales force, but they're doing very little outbound in like the way that they're kind of set up is very, very, very old school. And so what we're doing here is sort of mapping out, they have like three core markets they work with. Inside of each market, there's about 13 different personas. And then any given of those personas, what we do is we just map out like, what would that persona potentially care about? Right here, I think I have like two examples for each. If I was, you know, if I'm a rep, I'm doing this as granularly as I'm aware of. Because then when I go write a campaign, I basically write these in reverse. Where for me, when I go write a sequence, it's like a specific pain to a specific persona in a specific segment of a specific market. Right. Because if I group by that and I run, let's say, three split tests where I take three different pains, split them across the same persona in the same se segment of the same market always you are going to see statistical uh increases on like one of those campaigns is going to outperform the others like it's going to be very 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 clear like oh this phrasing resonates more with these people right and as you sort of zero in from 
all of these ideas of what angles could resonate and start running campaigns, you start to just like X stuff out and be like, don't do that ever again. You know, let's try this one more. You know, let's try this more. Let's try to add this onto this. And it's basically like the map of what to run. So instead of every time I build a list being like, what list am I going to build? Like, what am I going to write about today? What should be in this message? It's like, no, like the, the plan's there. It's like run this angle, this persona, this segment, this market, do it a bunch, measure the results and decide what to do next. And if you just do that over and over and over, heavy throughput, right? Like it's not uh, hairless. We are not trying to show up like, you know, not spend time writing. It's just all the time is bulked into this mapping. So by the time we're writing stuff, it's like super simple, right? So almost anyone looking at this could probably look at like any of these personas, look at the two cells to the right and be like, okay, I'm going to write that thing to that persona in that market. And it would kind of make sense. Yeah, no, this is great, man. And I, I mean, that's, that's definitely something I recommend is like going through and yeah, thoroughly understanding what are all the possible angles, pain points for every single persona. Um, couple of things I'm curious about because obviously AB testing is really important. One of the areas I've struggled with is actually tracking my AB test. Let me know if you guys have ever done this before, but like you, you, maybe you try to AB test a different subject line and then, you know, you're at a company for a while, three months later, you kind of AB test the same thing and you're just not keeping track of everything in one place. If that's a really, it, I, I very rarely see AB testing done well and in a like scientific way. So are you, I, I guess my question is like, do you have a way of tracking that? Is it like a spreadsheet where, where you're, you're tracking all these different AB tests and then do you have like a certain volume where you say, okay, you know, once it's been 500 leads or hundred leads, you can say for sure, like, Hey, this is a good thing to run with or no, or, you know, I shouldn't use this. Yeah. Really good question. So definitely track everything. So like there's, there's sort of this idea that like tracking outcomes is only meaningful if we have controlled for inputs. Right. And so a lot of teams have these ideas of like open rates and reply rates and positive reply rates and like all these things. And they're like, great. What did you do to drive that? And like, we personalize them and you're like, on what? Like, what are you talking about? What, like, where'd the data come from? Who did it? Like, all, nothing's controlled for. And so we have these concepts of like what we did to get an outcome, but very, like, you couldn't, okay, great, go hire three new people, teach them what you did and have them get that same outcome. And you won't, right? And it's because the inputs are like incredibly randomized, right? And so a lot of this stuff is just like if you control the inputs and then you log what you controlled for and then you do, you run something that is, like um, uh, similar enough to the other things you're running that they're measurable against each other. They don't have to be the same, just close enough. Right. And I tell people outcomes are like relative, right? Because like one market, you might send emails to a thousand people and get like, let's just say like 50 positive replies. And you're like, oh man, that was awesome. Right. Maybe that's awesome, but maybe that's like one tenth of what you could do for that market. And they just happen to be like a really potent one. Other times you have people who get really low responses, but it's like, it's just the reality of the market here. And, and you can either like give up and quit being a business, or you can be like, okay, I have an uphill battle. I have a difficult, and it, either way, the right thing is to like define the inputs, run it up, measure outputs and follow where the sort of positive stuff, you know, whatever it is that you're driving for is coming from. And so, um, the way I tend to do this, like I tell my clients, we produce four products for them in our services, right? It's like a targeting report. So we use like that tool Graphy, and it's basically like the count of people that fit a specific pain persona segment market, right? Um, so it's like how many people and then what is that combination of things? And they get that at the beginning of the month. It's like, hey, we're going to do this. Then they get the list of those people validated and then the copy that we're sending to those people. And then at the end of the month, they get an outcomes report that's basically like that same first graph. But then we add sends, uh, replies, positive replies, and then the sentiment of every reply, right? 
And what I just say is like, uh, very like it's 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 pretty manual. It's pretty simple, and it's one hundred percent clear at the end of campaigns like what you should and shouldn't be doing. I've never gotten to the end of something like really clear like either we're not going to do that again or like let's try more. You know, it's always really simple. So I think a lot of times people overcomplicate tracking right they try to get all crazy with tracking and i think it's like just control the inputs so you so you know what you're doing and at the yeah. end like you know i'm pretty sure reps are pretty good at like not wanting to do stupid things you know what i mean like they actually usually want to do the things that work best for them and so i think just if you, they give themselves a system of any amount of like true measurement where you're actually controlling for stuff out, outcome stuff will be a little bit easier yeah 100 um i agree like simplify i also like that you called out kind of earlier um like you you can't really base reply rate metrics, positive reply rate metrics to other industries and other companies. It's just like, it's a mess. Like you, you, there's, you don't know what good is or what the benchmark is until you actually test it out and start with something. And then it, it's just different for every company. So I'm glad you called that out. Um, one thing I'm curious about too, is like you, you listed all those problems, those pain points, those angles for each persona. Um, are you, when you're working with clients or you're doing this for yourself, how are you finding those problems and those pain points? Because you know, I've found that sometimes reps struggle to, to to get all the information or maybe the pain points that they think their product is solving is actually not how the customer would describe it. So do you have any best practices around figuring out what those common pain points are Yeah. Um, to make yeah. sure you're starting with, you know, a good foundation? The best one is cold call your competitors, SDRs, and ask them how they book their meetings. That's definitely like the most booked version of this. Uh, you can also, I like looking at job descriptions, right? So like taking language out of job descriptions, I think is cool because again, it's a little bit closer to the way they natively talk about things. Um, we lean on our clients a lot. Like the way I put it with clients is I want to download their native way of looking at their market. And then I also know that like the way a founder tells me their market cares about what they do and what's going to work from an outbound perspective are not the same, you know? So I really deify like the experimentation process. I'm not overly focused on like getting the perfect things on the front end. Like the first time I mapped that out, it's like, you know, if I, if I've never run outbound before, I don't need to get it perfect. I just need to have something to start running stuff. And very quickly, it's going to be like, okay, pull on this side more and more. You know what I mean? And so, um, I've, yeah. you know, I've been doing this a while. So like, there's a piece of it. It's just like, you know, as you know, it's like, you do this a lot. You start to ha kind of have your finger on like how different segments of markets, you know, feel about things. I just say like connect with other reps that's going to be the best one and then otherwise like do your own research and, and just don't be scared to like experiment like don't not do things because you're not certain use uncertainty as your strength strength to go experiment against and figure stuff out yeah 100 like a, a couple things i'll add to that first off i love the cold calling i've never heard that idea I'm like cold calling somebody your competitor that's that's great or um, job description yeah no that's that's dope i've never heard of that um, the job descriptions, I think is great because like in job descriptions, they're literally saying, these are the problems that we're hiring this person to solve. And so like, you can literally copy and paste that. Um, but also just like, let's say for example, a lot of people, um, maybe lean a lot more heavily on cold calling. They're not booking as many meetings through email. Like listen back to your cold calls, try to understand what were the points during that cold call? Like what were the things that you said and the things that the prospect said that got them to be interested or maybe disinterested, use that language in your email messaging and kind of start with that as a as a foundation as well. I think so. an another thing on the cold call thing, I'll say like, and this is like se semi hot take is my argument is cold calls convert much higher because of charisma and like humanity. And they, you know, they're actually a big false positive. Like you can book a cold call off any angle. It's not uh, controlling for like the competitive point. Right. So an email is great because all you're making is a logical argument and you're like kind of a robot, like you're a faceless, nameless person mostly. And so someone sees an email argument, if they convert off that, it is 
the argument you made that got them to say yes. If you cold call, a lot of that's like, you're a nice person. Sure, I'll listen to you and stuff, which is great. Like you, you need both. They're two different things, right? One is really potently zeroing in on message, you know, message market fit and resonance within a market based on the argument you're making and taking that insight and folding it into your cold call. I would actually take the email stuff into cold calls rather than vice versa. Test both, right? It's not to say that you're currently booking cold calls in like a, a bad way. It's just that like you can, I've definitely seen times where people can get meetings out of cold calling, not based on business practices that don't drive revenue the way that even if you get one fifth of the email meetings, but you're seeing like, oh, it's this specific thing that is getting these people to say yes. You know, it's because again, even like you and I being really good at cold calls, then you go hire five reps. Like that doesn't transfer the same way that this kind of more mechanical email stuff can transfer. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I actually, that's a really good point. I haven't thought about it that way, but it makes sense too, because in my experience, it's always the email meetings that have a higher show rate than like cold call meetings because it, yeah, it's, it's for the exact reason you've mentioned, like maybe they fell bad, they took the meeting and then they realized, Hey, I don't actually want to actually join this meeting. Yep. Um, cool. So we got five minutes left. We're going to cover a couple uh, email examples from Kel here, but also go into the Q and a, drop your questions there. Cause we're going to answer uh, as many questions as possible in just a moment. Uh, but Kellen, walk us through this email example here. Um, looks like you wrote this one for me, but yeah, walk us through this as, as an example of one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, full disclosure, I did this at like midnight last night. So like, it's not like the, the world's greatest email, but just basically, uh, a lot of times like the framework, and I think we're going to like send it out, like a little mini guide I wrote that has it a much more in depth of how I do this, but it's basically, yeah. I like to do, you know, all lowercase subjects. Usually my first line, I'm just telling people essentially how I found them. Because again, if I found them via this like proprietary segmentation method, usually I can pretty much just tell them what I did and it's going to be personalized and relevant and sound cool. Um, typically my middle line, I use like a single sentence case study. This is like a generalized version. Ideally, I would say like I helped another agency owner who does media shows do X percent outcome, you know, but um, I don't have that. And so I just yeah. have this up. So it's like a generalized version. And then uh, I use CTA, you know, for my CTA, it's usually like soft ask. I like to be really specific. I used to be super general, but I now think that you can sort of, because I'm doing so much work on the front end, usually my CTA is softening. The, I think of it as like the weight of the ask, right? If I'm like, hey, can I have a meeting to sell you something? It's like, that's really heavy. But if I'm kind of like, I found this cool way and we've done some cool things with people like you, you know, and then my CTA is like, could, a lot of times I'm like, could I connect you with our founder to walk through the case study? Or like, if I walked you through how we could do that for you live, would you be interested in spending time? Or, you know, that's like what this one is. And so I think just ways of lowering the ask, which again, increases the likelihood that someone's willing to sort of engage with you. If you're not getting like the replies you want, I'd rather uh, lower the ask and, you know, kind of see like, again, where resonance lies. Yeah, for sure. And I, by the way, I mean, I would take this meeting. This is actually a really well written email. I like it. Um, I love the uh, the call to action as well. Um, it kind of creates that curiosity, um, gives them a reason to respond. Uh, so this is a really solid. This is a solid email. And then this is what your your follow up email looks like. So yeah, talk to us about like these kind of mini sequences you're running. Um, and what does the structure look like? Uh, yeah. So basically, what I do, what I do is like, so my first email, I wanted to sort of what I say, tell the whole story, which is also like. The whole argument I have, again, like that logical argument I have to be made, I'm telling them the whole thing in that first email, right? So it's like, this should stand alone, tell what I'm trying to say, right? Then on my next email, all I'm really trying to do, if I did a great job on that first email is like, you know, potentially double its potential of like converting these people. And so what I try to do is ask a question that is somewhat like striking so that they'll see it in the preview text and be like, what the hell? And then click on it and go read 
first thing and be like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And so it just like doubles the likelihood potentially of getting that first one. And so a lot of times I'll ask them like, I'll kind of use disqualification centric questions, a little bit of like the Chris Voss-esque like, but you know, a lot of times it's just like, I'll, I'll say things like, is blank just not a current priority? Right. Because if someone says like, is net new business just not a current priority? Like, what the hell? Like, who's sending me this? Like, what is this about? And they'll go read the first thing. And, you know, sometimes you're just like, yeah, no, it's not or whatever. But again, it just it, it drives through that replies and you can kind of see like what people are responsive to first. Of all. Yeah. Interesting. So you're um, I, I like that was you shared some examples of like really short one liner follow up emails. Um, are, is that like in general what you try to stick with? stick to for the most part like short one-liner emails i know that's just like a hot take for some people because a lot of people talk about like follow-up emails you always have to be providing value and personal yeah, nah. extra stuff yeah interesting it, i I, mean, I would just say show me your first email if your first email is better than mine and your second one's better then you're right like you know you what i do is not the best sorry it's really that like most of your emails don't do anything for you and so it's not about like minimizing effort to the people that are going to convert, but it's just about bucketing in a way that you can kind of be intelligent on the patterns you're following. You know what I mean? No, I completely agree. I mean, it, like in my opinion, I think every email you should send should have just like one follow-up email. And really the goal of it is to kind of turn them back to the initial email where you put the most effort in the research, because at the end of the day, like 80% of the people that you're going to send that follow-up email to didn't really even read through the first email anyways. So you're just pointing them back to that. Um, we got one question from Marissa, but it looks like Kellen, you already answered it. So, yeah. um, if there's any other questions, guys, just drop them in the chat. Um, I think we're going to share the actual resource, Kellen, right? You're, you're comfortable with Yeah. I think it's already in there. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Check that out guys. Cause everything we just walked through, um, Kellen was nice enough to kind of share that with everybody. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, Kellen, where can people learn more, connect with you? Appreciate you walking us through this whole process, man. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, you bet, man. I had a pleasure. Uh, LinkedIn is the best place, honestly. Hit me up on LinkedIn. If you have questions, DM me. If you want anything from me, DM me. I love making these little mini guides. And so like, if there's any questions I didn't uh, like cover or anything I didn't articulate well, let me know and I'll go make you a resource for it. Good stuff. Appreciate it, guys. Um, thanks everyone for watching. Have a good weekend. We will see you all on Monday. See you later.